0: 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands which were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you've handed down. You do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he said? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body? In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. First response for most of us doesn't apply. We don't worry a whole lot about the way we wash our hands. We don't worry about a whole lot about the way we wash our dishes. We don't even know what Corbin is. Most of us uh, eat bacon. If we don't, it's not because it's unclean. It's because it's unhealthy. We don't really, it doesn't fit. We're past that. A church like ours, you wear shorts to church in the summer. We don't get bound up in the rules and... We're independent and non denominational. We're all of those things, and we feel like we're free in Christ. We don't, this doesn't apply. We're kind of past all of this stuff that Jesus is talking about. He's talking to Jews. Maybe he's talking to Catholics, but he certainly isn't talking to us. We don't, we don't do this stuff for most of us. It doesn't apply. No offense if you're Catholic background. Let me give you a little background on this and see if it helps. I don't think uh, it's true that this is irrelevant. Uh, for us, I actually feel like the things Jesus is talking about continue to be issues uh, throughout time, uh, and I, I think most of us, when we dig in, will realize we still struggle with some of this as well. This idea of the tradition of the elders, that was a uh, group of, of oral laws that were passed down from rabbi to rabbi that were binding on all of Israel. There's six hundred and thirteen laws in the Old Testament. Many of them are general. You would think with 613, you'd kind of get everything covered, but you don't. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you. There's 39 rules on what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. That's the oral law. That's these rabbis who loved God, who loved the Old Testament, who loved the people in their synagogue or their congregation, whatever that was. And they interpreted these laws. Kind of the, the way you think about it is everywhere where the law is, the written law is silent, the oral law was vocal. It filled in all the blanks. You want to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let me tell you how. And again, the heart behind it is wonderful. If the thing is, uh, it's a Leviticus 20 says, God is looking for a holy people, people who are his. I think that's Leviticus So 20, 26. So the, the, the way to do that is to follow the law. So I'm going to help you follow the law. I'm going to give you all of these additional guidelines, we'll call them, that can help you honor your father and mother. What does that mean? Well, let let me tell you what that means. And so over time, there's this huge body of oral law called the tradition of the elders that kind of calcified around the written law. But again, the heart behind it originally was, was good, I think. Wonderful. People who were trying to help other people follow the law in order to be this people that God wanted them to be, this holy people who were set apart for him. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, things have gotten a little um, out of whack. Again, there's this, this body of oral teaching is pretty cumbersome at that point. There's a lot of rules. They tend to contradict one another. And these Pharisees come. Uh, we didn't read the verses immediately preceding. Jesus has just walked on water. He gets to the other side. There are these crowds gathering around him, and everyone's touching him and being healed. And kind of the sense that it, it seems to me is these Pharisees come, and they're trying to discredit him in front of this crowd. He's doing all this stuff. All these people are clamoring uh, to be near him. And so they're taking a shot at his disciples in order to discredit him in front of these crowds. Not a very nice thing to do. That seems to be what's going on. And so they say their hands are dirty. They didn't wash their hands the right way. Why don't they follow the tradition of the elders? And what they're saying is they're not following the tradition of the elders, which we all know it's binding for all of us. And this charge from the Pharisees, we tend to have a pretty low... View of them, these were the religious uh studs of their day. It was they followed the law better than anybody. they knew the law better than anybody. They were looked up to for being very righteous, very holy like you, they're they're the spiritual elites, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but in a, a way of saying these guys know what they're doing, so for them to come in and challenge Jesus again, it's an affront to his. Authority in what he's doing. So anyway, so that's what's going on. And here's how Jesus responds in verses 6 through 13. That's his response to this question about why his disciples aren't washing their hands in these particular ways. And what he says, basically, is the tradition of men, this oral law, leads to hypocrisy. It makes you a hypocrite. And he quotes that verse from Isaiah. When we hear the word hypocrite, we tend to think of someone who says one thing and does another. That's not really what Jesus is referring to. There's some truth there, but that's not necessarily what he's talking about. The word comes from the theater, someone who wears a mask. So it has more this idea of people see one thing and God sees another. What he's saying to the Pharisees is everybody looks at y'all and you look really righteous. God looks at y'all and you look really rotten. That's why you're a hypocrite. Matthew 23, he rails against the religious leaders. And this is, the to me, the best definition of hypocrite in the Bible. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You look like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. You get that. To everybody else, y'all look good. But to God, he sees there's death on the inside. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Again, the idea here is they're, these, these rules that they're following, makes them look righteous on the outside. Their heart is not, I don't think, to they're trying with what they know to connect with God the best way they know how, and it's to follow the law. I don't think that they're evil intent. They're just completely missing the point, and Jesus is trying to get them to see. You're, you're missing it. Everybody thinks that you're super spiritual, that you're righteous, that you're holy, but God can see. That you're not, he says in earlier in Matthew 23, he says, you, Pharisees, teachers of the law, you guys that are passing down this oral tradition, this is what you're doing. You're tying up heavy loads and putting them on men's shoulders. And you don't do you don't lift a finger to help them move. Again, this picture here is this oral law have become so burdensome. And it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were putting that on the people. To what when when the Pharisees are criticizing the disciples because of the way they wash their hands. That's actually taken from Exodus 30, and it was the priests who were told to wash their hands in a particular way. And what the Pharisees said, if it was good for the priests, it's good for everybody. If this is what kind of separates the priests, well, let's be a nation of priests to demonstrate to God how devoted to Him we are. So they'd taken laws that were meant for a small group and expanded them to a big group. And again, their heart is good to say, God, look how holy our nation is. But you can see how burdensome that would be to people. And so that's kind of what's going on here. And then he gives a picture, this thing of Corbin, which we don't necessarily understand. That's a gift devoted to God. So I'm a son, and I've got a certain amount of money. And what I can do is I can say this portion, of I've got $100, I'm going to say $75 is Corbin. That means it's devoted to God. That means nobody else has a claim on it. It doesn't mean that I gave it away. I still have it, and I can use it, but nobody else has a claim on it. So as a son, at some point, I'm going to have a responsibility to take care of my parents. The Bible says I should honor my father and mother. And so what Jesus is saying is what, what, what y'all's oral law has done is if me, in a moment of greed, in a moment of selfishness, in a moment of anger, I'm ticked off because I got grounded or whatever, I can say this, this money is Corbin. That means it's devoted to God. So then when my parents are old and frail and I should be taking care of them, I can't get to that money to use it for them because I've already dedicated it to God. I have a responsibility, according to the Ten Commandments, to honor my father and mother, but I can't because when I was 21, I made it a, a silly vow. Because according to the tradition of the law, it didn't matter why you made the vow. Once you uttered it, it was binding. You can't take it back. And you can't break it. That's what he's talking about. Your traditions nullify the word of God. Second thing, he goes after the written law and the oral law. It's not just that these traditions of the elders can lead us into can lead folks to hypocrisy. It's also that neither one of those, the written or the oral law, addresses our true problem. Neither one of them gets it honestly, the heart of the matter. That's this whole thing about where evil comes from. It comes from our heart. When you eat food, it goes from your mouth to your stomach and then it's gone. Your stomach and your heart aren't connected. Your biblical heart, they're not connected. It doesn't matter if you eat ham. It has no effect on whether it's your heart is clean or unclean. Same thing is true. Germs are gross. They'll make you sick, but they won't make you unholy. Washing your hands, that's great. Washing pots and kettles, that's great. But that, none of that addresses our true problem, which is the seat of our heart where all of these evil inclinations come from. He's going after both of these things, this entire religious system, because it can't fix the problem. It's the wrong prescription for what ails us. If you were here a couple of years ago, we did this thing, and Kim liked it so much, she asked if we could do it again, and I'm nice, and so I said, sure, why not? So this is the thing. Let's say, we said there's 613 laws, In the Old Testament. And we're just going to sum all those up. To keep this shoe nice and clean. That's all you got to do. Everything can be summed up in this. Kim is a good Jewish girl. And so she wants to do this. She knows from her parents that this law has been passed down. And her ancestors blew it. They didn't keep the law. So God punished them. He exiled them into Babylon. And now they've come back. And they're an oppressed people. And her nightmare is for that to happen again. She loves God, and what she's been told is, I mean, you keep this thing clean, everything's going to be all right. And because we love Kim, we've given her some instructions on what, it, what does that mean to keep it, this shoe in good shape. It's hard to know, and so there's some rules. The length of the laces and how you tie the bow and what the loops need to look like and where the tongue needs to be when you're putting all of that stuff, we've, not because we're trying to make things hard on her, but because we want her to know how to keep the shoe In good shape. Because that's the thing. That's what God is looking for from us. So Kim is doing her best. She's following the rules that people like me have passed down from generation to generation. She's doing all of this that she's supposed to. The only problem is her hands are dirty. It's not that bad. It's just chocolate sauce. Does Kim have any shot at keeping that shoe clean? No, why not? Because her hands are filthy. She's, got no sh- She's doing a great job keeping the laces the right length. She's making a beautiful bow. But it doesn't matter. The shoe is disgusting. She's doomed to failure. Huh? In a little bit. This is Ezekiel 36. Here's a promise from the Lord. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all uncleanness. That's what Jesus is coming to address. The Pharisees, whatever point along the way, things had shifted they lost sight of what god wanted to do among them they thought well just i'll tell you more clearly how to keep this shoe clean but none of it matters because her hands are filthy and what god promised was let me wash them for you and that's the new covenant here let me wash your hands and now suddenly she's got a shot thanks she has a she can actually do what God asked for her to do. That's what it means for the law. It was written out here on stone tablets. Now it's written in here on our heart. He's given us His Spirit who moves us to keep the law. We don't need all the extra stuff anymore. It's not external to us anymore. The Holy Spirit lives within you if you're a follower of Jesus. He'll tell you how to keep the shoe clean. He'll tell you how long the lace, all of that stuff. He'll take care of. Of all of that. That's what Jesus is coming to address. The Pharisees, whatever their intention, they were completely missing the point at this time. It doesn't matter about washing your hands, and it doesn't matter about the food you eat, and all the, none of that addresses the true problem that's going on. And you may say, that's great, I got it. I'm good, saved by faith, got it, grace, all of that stuff. Still doesn't fit. A couple of things that might make you think otherwise. Today, for us, the tradition of the elders can still lead to hypocrisy. It doesn't have to. I think it usually does. The tradition of the elders can still lead to hypocrisy. If you take out the phrase, follow the law, insert the phrase follow Jesus. For the Old Testament Jew, following the law, that's what made me holy. That made, that's what made me part of the people of God. For us, it's following Jesus. That's what makes us part of the people of God and then people like me with the best of intentions come and tell you exactly what that needs to look like Jesus called people to himself hey you 12 I want y'all to come and be with me and so what I say is this is what it looks like for you to be with Jesus you gotta have a quiet time you need to get up at 6 in the morning because it needs to be quiet you need to have a special place where you go Jesus went to a mountain where's your place where you go Privately. Here's some devotional books that you can read. You need to make sure that you're reading the Bible at least this much a day from Old Testament and New Testament. Why don't you try some memorization? Here's a journal, write in it. When you pray, here's a formula. Acts, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or whatever your formula is. We're giving all with the best of intentions, but it's all just stuff wrapped around the outside. Jesus said to his disciples, just come be with me. Let me help you learn how to be with him. Giving, Paul, pretty clear. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart without compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. We debate percentages and gross and net. I read an article a couple of weeks ago whether people should tithe on their unemployment checks. Like what has happened to the church that when someone is unemployed, we're wondering whether they should give to us instead of wondering how we should give to them. What, what is that? Doesn't he, uh, Worship Jesus very clearly. This is what God's looking for. People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's it. Spirit and in truth. If you're part of this church, you know we've never had a choir. We don't have an organ. Had, nobody's got a robe on. A lot of those battles we never fought. We came in on the other side. Some of you still have the scars from some of that. But it's still easy to get focused on the form. When Jesus is looking at this woman at the well, she said, "Hey, we worship on this mountain. Y'all worship on this mountain. Which one's right?" And Jesus, neither is right. God is spirit, and He's looking for people who worship in spirit. That is, without regard to the externals. If He was saying that, to, He's saying that to this woman in regard to location. If He was saying that to us, He would say it in regard to all of the musical trappings that we associate. With worship, absolutely, preference makes it easier. If you like the music, a whole lot easier to engage the Lord. But God doesn't care about the music. We do. One of the best things you can do, this will be difficult, one of the best things you can do, if you struggle with the whole kind of worship deal and it's got to kind of be a certain way, if you're honest in terms of music, go to a place where it stinks. I was a youth, associate youth person in a little town in Kentucky when I was in seminary. And we had a youth band, and they were awful. Awful. Not even like, oh, that's sweet, they're trying. Miserably bad. And I'm the youth guy, so I've got to figure out how to connect with Jesus, because they're all looking at me. To blind man stood by the road and he cried, blind man stood by the road and he cried, blind man stood by the road and he cried, show me the way. That's the song every week. A lot of depth nobody's on key it was good for me I was a snob before that I'm not a snob like I you give me somebody who can carry a tune and has any sense of rhythm we're good it's hard for us sometimes to move past that what we talk about now sometimes is being free in worship but we define free very specifically outwardly expressive. You're free to raise your hands, but you're not free to sit down. That's what we do. I was in a place one time, and a guy said, this is how you need to raise your hands in worship. If it's a song where you're giving something to God, then your hands are like this. If you're receiving something, then your hands are like this. Well, that makes sense. It, but come on. Does he care? One, one guy kind of had his fist. It was like an upbeat song. And this guy, you never shake a fist at God. And I'm thinking... <laughs> He's singing a song. He's not cussing. All of that stuff for us. It's easy to... What does it look like to worship in spirit and in truth? That's the thing for all of us. That's, what, that's, what, that's all Jesus laid out there. But people like me put all this stuff around it to help you worship in spirit and in truth. And it's well-meaning, absolutely. Absolutely. Well-meaning, and again, something like worship is easy. It's a hot-button issue, and we all have opinions and all of those things. But none of that ultimately matters. It's spirit and truth. You don't necessarily need all this stuff around the edges. And even talking about it it makes me kind of nervous because I've seen what happens when people don't do the things that were—they wither and die. I don't want to see that happen. Just like the rabbis didn't want to see people break the law. And so what I say is, it'll—you'll be fine. Just do these things. Here is a list. Just, just do these things and you'll be fine. And my heart is 100% good in saying that. And that sounds a whole lot like, let just wash your hands like this and you'll be fine. Just You just eat this food and you're going to be fine. Don't do these things on Saturday and you're going to be fine. What it does to us is it leads to hypocrisy. I can hold my hands the right way. And I can hate my mom at the same time. I can give 10% gross every week. And I can be as greedy as anybody. Those type of things don't necessarily get at our problem, which is our heart. Those are external behaviors. You've all known people like that. You might be a person like that. Let's modify our behavior, and see if it changes our heart. What if we change our hearts, and see if it'll modify our behavior? Another thing Jesus said: externals don't address our real problems. They didn't then, and they don't now. Food, hands, all, none of that. None of that addresses what's truly going on in our hearts. Most of y'all know the gospel well enough to say, my position before God has nothing to do with my behavior. You know that. That's the right answer on the multiple choice test. If I could crack open your chest and look in your heart, for most of us, we think our behavior absolutely determines our position before God. It might not put us in or out in terms of salvation, but it absolutely has to do with who's closest and who's farthest away when I'm doing good, whatever that means, I'm in church or I haven't slept in this week or I'm watching, making sure I only watch good stuff on TV, whatever that is, then I, I feel closer. Maybe my prayers have a better chance of getting answered. I'm in a better position to be blessed by God in some way. And I we'll have a bad stretch and I do oversleep and I'm grouchy to my kids and whatever those things are for you that mean you're, you're doing poorly. We think God's moving us to the back of the line. He's not necessarily kicking us out of class. He's just moving us to the back seat. This is Romans three twenty and 22. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes, excuse me, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who never mess up. Oh, to all who believe. It's good news. Your righteousness, your standing before God has zero to do with your behavior. If you're an achiever, that hits you the wrong way. You want to, you want to earn it. You can't. It's a gift. Our standing before God has nothing to do with what we have or haven't done and everything to do with what Jesus has done and whether or not we'll accept that in faith into our own lives. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the good news for all of us. Your righteousness, your position before God, nothing to do with your behavior, everything to to do with the past act, Jesus dying and raising again. Holiness who we are on the inside, character, those type of internal things. Again, it has to do with my behavior. If I'm living in some type of sinful... Well, I'm not as holy if I'm struggling with some sin issue. And when I kick that, well, then I'm more holy. And there's, there's true. There's growth there for us. But to think fundamentally that holiness is based on our character, or our choices, our, or excuse me, it's based on our behavior, these externals. It's just not true. Colossians 1, once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you. That's God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You're already holy. You need to be who you are. But you're already holy. If I tell Brandon to be a man, he's already a man. I'm not asking him to be anything foreign to who he is. God created him a man. I'm just saying act like it. So when, we, when you read in the New Testament these, these commands, be holy, it's not foreign to who you are if you're a follower of Jesus. He's already declared you holy, so Paul or Peter or whoever is just saying, be who you are. Remember, all of this stuff is now inside of you. It's not external. It's not a list of rules that you're having to follow. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He'll write them on your heart. And He will move you to follow them. That's scary for us to say we don't have control anymore. I'd rather give you a book, and then you can check off when you've done the right things. At some point, I've got to trust the Holy Spirit in you. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit in me. That He's going to lead us into this lifestyle of holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. You are holy because he said so, because he reconciled you to himself through Jesus. I think probably most devastating. This idea of our position, righteousness, this idea of kind of our, our, our character, our internally holiness, those things can be a little bit academic. You might not live every day with some sense of righteousness and holiness. It might not be a bad idea if we did, but that's not necessarily pressing. For a lot of us, it seems, again, a little more almost legal uh, than reality for most of us. I think the most devastating, though, is when we think God's love for us is dependent upon our behavior. And again, we, oh, it's unconditional, I get it. Do you live like that? Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were as far away from him as we could be, Christ died for us. If he died for you when you're way over here, once he's pulled you way over here, what in the world makes you think his love is based on your behavior? If it was based on your behavior, you're still outside then. So am I. We're all in the doghouse if it's based on our behavior. Thankfully, it's not the good news. His love for you, zero to do with your behavior. Everything to do with his heart for you. That's why it's solid ground. It doesn't change. Our behavior, we fluctuate. Hopefully, we fluctuate and it's getting more like Jesus and not less. But regardless, the ground of his love for us is his unchanging love for us. It's his heart for us, his desire for us, his nature to say, I want you. I want you to be here in my family. That's solid. And then when we mess up, it's we mess up. It doesn't move me to the back of the line. I'm going to repent and move on. Some of you have young children. I would say under three. Unless your kids are super morally aware. Under three. They mess up. They're not a Keep on going. Not even this sense for most of them at that age. It doesn't even cross their mind. That somehow you're going to remain angry with them over time. Or that somehow, you know, they do something one second and the next second they're crawling in your lap. They're asking you for something else. Don't you, I'm still mad at you. No, kids don't even think that way when they're that young. There's no concept that our love for them can at all be based on their performance or their behavior. That's what God, that's how He is with us. When we mess up, yeah, we mess up. We need to repent. But don't tie that, your behavior, to the way he feels about you or your position with him. If you do that, you're going to be on a treadmill for a long time. And what you've done at that point is you've diminished who he is. You've made his love for you contingent upon your ability to perform. You see how that lessens his love? It's no longer freely given. It's conditional based on how well we follow the rules. Nothing in the New Testament teaches that at all. Nothing in the Bible teaches that at all. He loves because he chose to. And that's good for all of us. Let's pray. I want you to think about two things. One. This is not nice. Are you a hypocrite? Not maliciously, not intentionally. You're not necessarily trying to deceive anyone. There's not really a whole lot of value in that in the world that we live anyway. But you look awesome. You're doing all the right stuff, but you're dead on the inside. I'm not asking if you're a Christian or not a Christian. I'm asking, are you dead on the inside? Can you say, yeah, the law is written on my heart? He's given me a new one. Everything's clean internally. If you can't, please let us pray for you this morning. For you, it might be in a particular area of your life. If you're trying to do better in another area to make up for deficiency in one. It might just be overall. If you're on a religious treadmill. You're washing your hands and you're washing your cups and you're eating the right food. But you're dead on the inside. Let us pray for you this morning. For God to make good his promise and give you a new heart. Second, I would say, if you are honest, would you say that you base either your position, that is your righteousness, your, uh, I guess we'll call it your character, that's holiness, or God's love for you? Do you slot those things based on your behavior? One or all? If the answer is yes, you've got some, you just have some bad wiring in your head. I don't mean that critically, it's just honestly. There's some bad programming and we need to pray. Or else you're constantly going to be fighting that battle. And If God can rewire you, you'll find a whole new life of freedom and joy and security. Which is what he wants. So Lord, my prayer is for any of us that are in one of those two boats, that this morning you would do your work. There's nothing we can do except write prescriptions. and Those prescriptions don't address the true problem. So we're asking you, Father, to send your spirit to minister into the hearts and minds of all of us. God, we want to know the security of what it means to be found in Christ and all that that means for us in terms of righteousness and holiness and love and god we absolutely want to follow you and we don't want to get lost chasing formulas and prescriptions in jesus name amen we're going to take communion if you're helping with that if you come forward the way we